From the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe, you're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to another edition of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your kick butt host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. We've got an amazing guest today, another one of those fun, unstructured, but yet so structured conversations that I love having. I think today's guest is a rock star, at least in my mind he is, extremely talented and a top-notch creative business entrepreneur. But first, a huge announcement. My coffee brand, I know I've been saying it for like a week or two now, Dead House Coffee is out and about. Use code SHARK. That's S-H-A-R-K for 20% off right now at deadhousecoffee.com. Come on, guys. Help me out. Support this show. I'm so excited and could not have launched this coffee brand without this show. So amazing. Get deadhousecoffee.com. And if you're wondering, Deadhouse Coffee, that's a weird name. Think about it. We're all zombies every single day until we get that morning cup of coffee. Okay, so Deadhouse Coffee, get back to life again. Love it. <laughs> now let's get back to today's show. One trend that we've had on this show, and I said this a kabillion times, is that you can have enterprise-level technology at a small to medium-sized company level. You can have business intelligence. You can have AI. You can have automation. You can have all that good stuff. So today, we're going to focus on websites. You can have a website. You can be a one-person shop, but when you look at the website, it acts and gives you the conversions just like a Fortune 500 company website does. It's not that hard, and truth be told, since you're probably more nimble and flexible than most Fortune 500 companies are, you can make changes relatively quickly and easily, and you can probably even do better than their website with even higher conversions than most Fortune 500 companies, except Amazon. But, you know, they got a pretty good recipe. I give them credit for that. But do you really want to keep making Jeff Bezos richer? Come on. There's got to be a limit there. All into capitalism, but spread it around. Buy things off people like my site, deadhousecoffee.com. <laughs> or the Shark Bite Biz Teespring store. I mean, we got some awesome merch right there as well, too. So... Who is today's guest? So glad you asked. His name is Jordan Kentris. And first off, I got to say, I love the name Jordan. My three-year-old, his name is Jordan Michael. He's actually named after my two brothers who passed away, combo of their names. Uh, but Jordan, his middle name's Michael too. So we were talking about that. And it's funny because everybody thinks Jordan Michael, oh, you're named after Michael Jordan. No, totally different. So uh, I just wanted to point out that little coincidence right there. But who is Jordan? Well, 
Jordan is a user experience designer by trade. Jordan's background in art and design isn't just professional. It's been a deep-seated passion for as long as he can remember. After years in advertising, working in web design and user experience with major brands like Pepsi, Visa, Toyota, and Mercedes, Jordan knew it was time he took his creativity offline so he could get his hands dirty. Out of that realization, he launched a custom brooch business, which ultimately evolved into wedding stationery, perfectly marrying his experience in digital design with his love for crafting. His company, A Good Day, serves planners by helping to curate an aesthetic to perfectly match their client's vision for their celebration. Jordan was recently recognized by BizBash as one of the most innovative people in 2020 for his creative, holistic approach to virtual events. Without further delay, let's bring Jordan on in here. Reach your customer. Jordan, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Woohoo! <laughs> Very excited to be here. Thank you, David. Oh, no problem at all. So we have tradition on this show. Very first question. It's a, a softball. In fact, it's such a lob throw. You don't even need a glove to catch it. It's that easy. Okay. What's your experience? What's your background? What's your expertise? Basically, tell the world out there, all 25 billion of Sharkbite business viewers and watchers, uh, what makes Jordan Jordan? Oh, um, Loaded well, question, I right? Have, yeah, so much. You can probably talk to my husband and find out what, mm -hmm. <laughs> what his thoughts are. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I, I come with a wealth of experience actually from the advertising industry as a user experience designer. So mm -hmm. designing websites and uh, digital properties through a kind of research and human-centered design lens. Um, so that's, that's my background. Did you say the what, what design lens was that? A human-centered human-centered design lens that is pretty cool phrase i i like that uh i don't think i've heard it that way before why don't you kind of explain what you mean about that yeah so for me and in some of the practices that we kind of approach is really about taking the end user the people who are going to mm -hmm. be using our services and designing with them in mind so you're always putting it in a kind of plain language friendly way that they can understand and and kind of get enrolled in. And then, mm -hmm. you know, our work speaks for itself after that point. But when we use a lot of terms or, you know, inside knowledge and, and inside, you know, inside baseball terms, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people can get really turned off by that and not really understand what we're trying to get through. But when we break it down into that kind of human readable language, then mm -hmm. it becomes really accessible to a lot of people. So how easy or hard is it to get it to that level? So you, it can be really challenging and it can also be really easy depending on how well you know your customer. To me, right. that is one of the really big indicators in, in that kind of process. There's a bit of time at the beginning always to do that bit of research. But once you know who you're talking to and who your end users are, it becomes quite easy because you typically can, you know, as I say, like you put the hat on of that end user, your ideal uh -huh. customer, those kind of things, and you can start to take action through that lens. Um, so it's a bit of that process at the beginning to really dig into, 
you know, who we're trying to target and then who is actually buying what we sell. I mean, that mm -hmm. is always a really interesting shift because there's, there's a lot of conversations around, well, I, I service, you know, fortune 500 companies, but maybe our products are only purchased by mom and pop shops, even though our right. ideal client and who we think we are there, we want to make sure that we're, we're really speaking to our end user who may be the mom and pop shop who is buying our products because they mm -hmm. like me and my approach. Um, right. and they haven't been, we want to make sure that we're speaking to that audience, even though we might always be trying to target the, you know, the Toyotas or the visas of the world. <laughs> right. 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 So what kind of tips then do you have for designing a website, creating the content that is going to be accessible to all users that, you know, gets you in front of that key target audience? For me, it is really identifying who your actual customers are. And mm -hmm. I'm a really big advocate for actually talking to your clients from a research line. Wait, 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 hold on. We're done. I'm not talking to any clients. <laughs> I sell through anonymous websites on the dark web. That's it. There is no talking in my business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it a big difference between, you know, you and I, if you were my client, to have a conversation on a day-to-day -day basis of, you know, right. what are we trying to achieve? But there's a different a lens in there when you're actually trying to do research to improve your product, not the service mm -hmm. that you're doing. So it's more around conversations of, you know, how is my onboarding process? What did you like about me when we worked together? What could I improve upon? It's like that idea of the post-mortem after a project or while a project right. is happening. Those kind of pieces of feedback can really improve how we sell our work, but also how we position our work to new clients. Um, and then when you're talking to new clients who may not select you, it's a bit of a, a lofty goal if you can ask someone when they're like, you know, we decided to go with someone else, to just ask them a couple questions of what made you choose my competitor. And it's not, you have to really kind of detach yourself from that process because it's not something you want to be taking personally, but maybe it was a price thing. Maybe they understood the other service better. You want to try and mm -hmm. get to that lens to see if you can uh, you know, solidify the messaging during your sales process, if that was a gap that was identified. So you want to see if you can right, find right. some of those things. So for me, yeah. it is you know a bit daunting to, to want to yeah. talk to your clients in that way, but it can give you some like valuable insights that you would have never seen otherwise. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's great. I mean, excuse me because it is hard for me to relate because I <laughs> never lose a deal. But uh, <laughs> I have a hundred percent closure rate. I totally yeah, get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, winner's circle right here, baby. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, I, I think a lot of people know that yeah, you lose a deal. I think it's more than losing a deal, though. I think it's also when you win the deals you should also do postmortems oh, as well every time every project it's in your due diligence it's just it helps you improve your process but it also helps you understand where you may have struggles in conversations that you don't really realize mm -hmm. like maybe it was you were not delivering certain things on time so it might be you want to be increasing your you know your project management workflows or any kind of processes for automation internally any of those things you may not realize because you, you hit the deliver end deliverable for the client, the client was gushing at the end, but maybe there were some parts in the middle that could have used some improvement that can ultimately right. be a sales tool that you can use to improve the next project.
I, I think though too, the other side of that is that it also allows you to see what you did good as well too, oh, yeah. so that you know where you hold the advantage. Definitely. It, it can be those things that are the differentiators between you and someone else. Because if your client is like, I loved how you were able to, whatever, understand my and my consumer a lot easier than I've ever been able to do it. That to me is a big selling feature. If I, if I can crack that for 10 clients and I hear that every time that, you know, mm -hmm. you were able to get into the, the mindset of my, my consumer, then I'm like, wow, that's something that I sell and what I can focus on in the way that I present myself as a differentiator. Right. And so how hard is it? I mean, when you lose a deal, win a deal, whenever you're doing a postmortem, how receptible are clients typically to sitting down and investing time with you still, especially if they didn't choose you? Yeah. I mean, in our world, it's ideal with ERP. I do ERP for Vision 33 for the day job. Um, but, you know, it, it's ideal that you get a postmortem. We get some sometimes, but a lot of times the customer is just kind of like, hey, look, uh, we've already invested like 80 hours of our time in this sales cycle with everybody. We're just ready to go on, implement the system with the provider that we chose. Um, you know, we didn't pick you because blah, 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 price, whatever. And that'll be like the extent of the feedback we get. Not all the time. Sometimes, you know, they'll give us full sit down. Hey, we yeah. loved you, but this is why we picked the other person. Um, but a good portion of the times, I mean, there, there seems to be a little bit of a reluctance. So what kind of strategies, I mean, how typical is it the customers do sit down? I, a lot of different questions there. So just discuss the whole thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, getting a client to give feedback in general is always challenging. You have to kind of make it feel like it's easy for them. Um, and you want to do that with, you know, do you think we can just hop on a call for 10 minutes? I'm not going to take too much of your time. I just have a couple questions. I'm going to pre-send the questions for you so that you're aware of what they're going to be doing. You're not going to be lobbing them something in the middle of a call, and then they're going to feel like they're on the spot. Um, and mm -hmm. sometimes those calls definitely go longer because, you know, they actually do open up and you're able to kind of get them talking. Um, mm -hmm. And other times it's shorter. Um, but you want to just be able to frame it up as, you know, I'm looking to improve my product so that I can help other clients and other people like you so that, you know, why you didn't choose me or why you choose me can be another reason someone didn't do that. So you want to make sure that it's easy for them to understand why you're doing it rather than just like, I want to take up your time so that that's it. Like if you don't set the context for them, they don't really see the value. But if you kind of hopefully can attach a little bit of people are, are very emotional people. And if you can mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm hoping to improve my end product and my sales process, do you mind spending like 10 minutes of me answering me a couple of really quick questions as to, you know, where some things that could be improved and what I did well, I would really, really appreciate it because it would mean a ton to me and my business uh, because I have to feed my family. No, I wouldn't go that route. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ultimately, well, if you can I, make them feel like they can, they can contribute to that, then mm -hmm. it feels like there's a lot of value. Yeah, no, I am definitely very emotional. In fact, uh, rare known fact, <laughs> I cry myself to sleep most nights. But <laughs> just throwing it out there in case you're wondering. But... <laughs> but anyways, uh, with when you're trying to get the feedback, I mean, so what is the the best? 
approach? I mean, are we looking as far as trying to do, you know, get on a call and go through it? Or are we trying to just do a questionnaire like you'd mentioned? I mean, is, is there a one way that's going to outperform another way? What What's your take? For me, you have to kind of gauge your audience. If they don't have a ton of time, a questionnaire may be the best way of going about it and getting them on a call. For me, a call is the, the most fruitful because I'm able to probe. With a questionnaire or a written form of communication like email or anything like that, we're kind of relying on our questions to do all mm -hmm. of the work and hope that we ask the right questions. Whereas if you hope and I- Hope that are they having, understand the questions yeah, too. Also. Yeah. <laughs> but if I, you and I are having a conversation, it may be, you know, I loved everything except. And you're like, okay, so let's dive into that except for just two seconds. I want to just unpack that a little bit. I wouldn't yeah. get that if you wrote a response to me because it would just be like, you know, this went really well. I like the onboarding and, you know, I found great value for whatever. And you're like, thank you for your time. You can't go back after that and be like, I have a few more follow-up questions. So now you're just like, I'm now taking advantage of the trust that we just built because I said it was going to be easy. And if you're like, I have a follow-up and then I have another follow-up to the follow-up. Then you're like, this is not the, the five minutes you promised me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And, you know, as you were kind of walking through that, I just created my new follow-up questionnaire in my head. And it, it, it exactly reads this. We didn't choose Vision 33, but we love you. We loved you except for the following, you know? <laughs> and it's like, just tell us what what you uh, did like. I mean, most of the time we get, I, I think we're lucky because a lot of times it'll come down to one or two big reasons. Sometimes it's pricing and that's just out of control. You know, we'll compete with companies like Oracle, for example, right. who will jump in there because they're so desperate. Yes, I said that, NetSuite. You guys are desperate. So desperate <laughs> to get market share that they're going to throw like an 80% discount right. on the table. And it's just something that we're unable to compete against because realistically, in that moment, the competition is looking just to get logos more than they are the right. actual numbers. And it, it does make it very, very difficult in those types of situations. And that, that does kill me. I really, really dislike when we go through a sales, they're like, hey, we love you. You guys are amazing. Excellent, excellent solution. But Next, we gave us, uh, you know, 85% off if we close by their year end, which is May 31st. Who does that? May 31st? Come on. <laughs> uh, it's not even a quarter end. It's middle of May, okay? Middle, middle, whatever. But they they do it then, and, you know, they'll get really aggressive uh, trying to close deals. And even if we get really aggressive with pricing, I mean, they'll be like, hey, look, Worst case scenario, I've got to pay out four years of this contract and it cost me 80 grand. And, you know, it, it's an $80,000 total risk for us, which is still cheaper than what your solution would be. So worst case scenario, it costs us $80,000 more to do, the, do your project if things don't work out. And that is very hard to overcome, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you especially coming from the agency world where there's undercutting there mm -hmm. there are consultancies that just show up and you're like where where did you come from because i know you don't have those skill sets mm -hmm. but you know you, you're able to trot out 
process or certain things. And yeah. it, it's really tough to be able to try and compete there. For me, I just like to make sure that we can show how we're a bit different because, you know, we're not those people. Um, ultimately, sometimes we lose those bids and, you know, the feedback is you're amazing. But yeah. we went with the, the big guy because, you know, they offered something at a label that we just knew a little bit more or my boss's boss decided that like that's where it always is like well, I, i'm kind of up up the creek there <laughs> yeah that that that's a tough situation that you just mentioned there because sometimes we will lose a project even if price is right or yeah. the same price but we lose it just because of allegiances for example the cfo or maybe especially with outside consultants Oh. They're going to make them go through the pony show, show them all the uh, the solutions out there. Ultimately, though, they're only picking what they like. They're unless somehow they're forced to pick another solution. If they've only worked with NetSuite, they're going to have them pick NetSuite. Right. And why? Well, because their butts on the line, and that's the only way they can guarantee success is going with the solution that they're familiar with, and that's where they guide everything. And it does, um, you know, it drives us nuts because there's very few times I enjoy then working with a consultant, you know, we'll still play right. along, but really it's like, unless I see that he's worked with all different solutions, if it's only one or two, realistically, if we're not one of those one or two, we're probably not going to win. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's really tough to want to try and invest. I think for me, it's about building the relationship with the client, which mm -hmm. could lead to future work. That's how I always view it, especially, yeah. again, agencies and our clients are very incestuous in the sense that like, you end up moving a lot of different spaces. And when a client mm -hmm. moves, they can bring you on board in a different solution where a consultant might not be there. So it's always there in our best, in our best positioning to try and put ourselves forward to make an impression on the clients who can ultimately make a decision somewhere else. It sucks if you're like, I pretty much know I'm not going to get this one, but I'm going to mm -hmm. do the work anyway, just to show like I'm a good partner. Um, so for me, it's always just like, let's make sure that we look like the best partner and hopefully mm -hmm. we're in the consideration set in the future. Um, if anything falls through or they move somewhere else. <laughs> and you can look like the best partner if you have a rocking website too. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, it shows that's... a bit of legitimacy in there because the client, I trust me, I've seen it before, even on clients who come to us and we're like, you do however many million dollars in sales, like your website looks like, like MySpace from <laughs> 2007. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's the, I mean, even in the ERP world, I mean, you'll be surprised. I mean, we've seen $200 million companies running off of green screens or Excel sheets, uh, QuickBooks, and it's like, ow like that they're just bleeding a lot of unnecessary money by having a system like that and the same thing goes to website i mean i, I worked with um a high-end agency that was a client of mine in the website world uh pint from san diego and they you know their job was like hey we don't care if you're a five employee company mom and pop shop you're going to look like a Fortune 100 company once we build you the website because that's the the beauty of the web. I mean, it, it, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but you know how humans are. We do. 
And the website, I mean, people are going to be judging you off that. If you're a tech company with a website that looks like it was built uh, off of an America Online keyword, yep. you're probably not going to have a lot of success in 2021. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's really challenging, especially when you're in really competitive spaces. I work with a lot of CPG brands, um, mm -hmm. and those are definitely all cross shops. So consumers are, are looking at those spaces and saying, you know, if it doesn't feel modern and fresh, does the brand feel that way? Like, is the product? Like, there's a lot mm -hmm. of assumptions that people do based on how you present yourself online, because if it looks poor quality, and even if you have the best product ever, if I have a, if I have a crappy website, someone might not realize, they're not going to spend the time going, you know, Jordan does amazing work, except I don't actually know what he does because his site doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not right. like a caliber that speaks to his end price point. And it doesn't speak to his, like, he's got great testimonials, but I don't see any of that work in his portfolio. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, mm -hmm. when, when there's that disconnect, people have a lot of judgment and a lot of doubt. And they're not going to really want to either give you the time or they're not going to be willing to invest that time to really kind of get to know you and your sales process and, and what you can really offer them. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, just think about it. How many times have you gone onto a website and you ended up not making a sale? Well, you ended up not buying their product, giving the company a sale because you just couldn't get through the checkout process or it just oh, yeah. wasn't up to the standards and then you're you find yourself well you're actually googling to see if this is a legit company or not <laughs> when you're like xyz company reviews and you're like i can't find yeah. anything you're like this is getting really sketchy like nope i'm not giving you my money <laughs> right right or if you do you're doing it with like a prepaid card yeah well i'm just like praying it comes in the mail <laughs> right right exactly um, that's how I feel every time I buy something off of the Wish app. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm going to get. And I'm like, well, it smells like gasoline. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So, you know, when we're, we're talking about the websites and all that stuff, I mean, how do you really evaluate the website usability and, you know, why it, it matters for the booking rate. I mean, this goes into a little bit like we were just talking about, but can you get us maybe a little bit detailed, more detailed with some, some explanations? Definitely. Um, you want to, usability is incredibly important because if the, the site isn't usable, and by that I mean like isn't actually doing our intended action. So if I'm going to be having a, an e-commerce platform, you want to mm -hmm. have a seamless, as seamless of a checkout flow as possible. You want them to be able to give their information over, to feel secure in that transaction. You want to be able to get in that headspace and understand what their consumer's actions are supposed to be. Like every one of us, when we go to a website, has something we're trying to do. They're designed to solve a problem. I don't just sit around and Google things all day and just come across sites just for the hell of it. I'm always going somewhere because I have something I'm trying to accomplish. So you really want to make sure that ultimately whatever we're designing is meeting those end needs. It's not the needs that we think our consumers doing or my needs as a business. It's always within that end user's headspace. You want to make sure that you're thinking of those things and what we can do to accomplish that. 
from there, how you really often, want to, okay. Uh, I was going to say uh, on that topic there, I mean, how often do companies really just mess it up as far as, All the time. no, no, this is what <laughs> our customers want. This is how they're going to do it. And if they don't like it, pop. <laughs> I mean, for the longest time, I think that that was out there. Once I feel like UX research and UX best practices have come into play, a lot of companies have started to realize that it's really important. But if, I'm, honestly, every day I see something new that I'm like, how did you think that this was the right thing to put forward? And why would someone right. buy it? Like, what? But a lot of times we design for ourselves. We're most of like 99.9% .9 of the time, we're not our clients, but we always design for that. We write for that thinking that that's what they want. Um, so doing that kind of research and putting that kind of work into it pays off in spades because you're actually building from real insight. When you talk to those people, when you validate, like a, a way that you can do that to improve your usability is actually validate with customers. So someone who's an active customer of yours, ask them if you can shadow them when they buy something on your website. If you have a relationship with them, ask You're family. already letting Google, Amazon, Facebook shadow you. Why not let me shadow you too? <laughs> Hook me up. <laughs> so have a Otherwise, I'm just going to have to buy it from them anyways. I know. Um, <laughs> but if you, can, if you can actually follow them in that process and ask them during the, the, their buying cycle of like, if I have an e-commerce product, you know, buy some cards from me. And then they're like, well, I'm going to add it to my cart. Well, that's confusing. I don't know why that's happening. And you're like, okay, let me see if I can get to the root of that. And then you can do some digging on your end to see, you know, was it the label was incorrect? Was the language not right? Was the, was it actually malfunctioning? Was it not developed properly? Was there an actual bug that kind of occurred? Um, and you can kind of start to see some patterns there on where you want to make improvements because it can improve your conversion. But you don't necessarily know that if you just kind of assume that you know the best way of doing that. You want to hear people actually fail or succeed because you know that you're going down the right path. Right. Hey, so we do only have uh, you know, a couple minutes left. We're getting into the last end of uh, you know, this interview. It's been awesome so far. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Uh, let's start getting into, I think, the burning question that everybody out there has is what are the most common uh, mistakes that people are making with their their websites and their rollouts? Like some of the, I, I guess the common errors that people do, like, hey, they're doing this this way when it, you know, realistically the standard that it should be this way. Can you give us some of those items as well as some of the must haves to really be able to structure a really highly converting site? Sure. Um, we'll start with the like watchups, I would say. So there's mm -hmm. like three things that I see typically that a lot of businesses do, not incorrectly, but you know, there's a lot of room for improvement. One is I always find the homepage can be really lacking um, yeah. in the sense that a homepage is really the first thing and a lot of the times the only thing some people will see. So you want it to have impact. You want it to be really clear what you do, what you offer, um, and direct people to the different ways that they can work with you. Um, okay. Making sure that that's set up and easy for them to understand and really easy to digest. Don't necessarily build like a 10,000 pixel long, like seven scroll screen. Like that isn't always the best experience if that's not part of your brand. 
you want to make sure that it's easy for them to understand. Um, the other oh, I like making uh, web users scroll. <laughs> I mean, it's almost it, like going on a treasure hunt. It works for some businesses and some design patterns, but you have to really think through that kind of flow to make sure that it tells a natural story. Um, if you're just like, I'm just going to jumble everything here and pray that you find the really good nugget, you know, seven scrolls down, you're like, you're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a thing. I, I think that's an important point that we should point out. If you're going with one of those long scroll pages, and I've seen a lot of them that look gorgeous, but think of them as a storyboard in a sense, because they are essentially telling a story in some format. And that's why those sites typically work. I mean, there's some other sites, like, I don't know, maybe think of um, a regular e-commerce site that has like a billion, like Amazon, for example, okay? If Amazon was all just on one homepage where everything was listed in mm -hmm. scrolls with all the different services, I don't think that would really work. No. So you've got to be smart with it. Yeah, you have to make sure that it meets the needs of your audience. Um, mm -hmm. and what their intentions are. And I say the second thing you want to really watch out for is make sure that a, a person really knows what your, like you as the business, what their intended actions are. What are the next steps you want them to achieve? Is it an inquiry? Is it a purchase? Like if you just kind of like put a page out there and hope that they realize that I do UX audits, they're not going to know that if I don't have it explicitly there, like book a UX audit. And if that's the mm -hmm. thing that I'm trying to do with this page, I want to have a really clear call to action right? to make sure that they get to the next thing I want them to do. Contact me, buy, go to this Stock other website. You. Yeah, look at my reviews, whatever. <laughs> you want them to, to follow me on social media, whatever. You want to spell it out for them what you want me to do next as a consumer. And you don't yeah, do that, that. You're kind of putting a lot in their, yep. in their court and hoping that they do what you want them to do. Right, right, right. I mean, that that's the, uh, oh man, the words escaping my head right now. But, you know, you just have to really, like you're saying, just um, don't think that they're going to know what you want them to do. Literally have it spelt out, have it spelt out very, very clearly so that there's not a question of a doubt that, you know, this equals that and you do this. <laughs> yeah. So, great. Uh, yeah, and I would probably say my third kind of like watch out is, we've touched on this a little bit before, is like, you know, making sure you're actually designing for your end user, but also designing for their needs. Making sure that the content you're framing up really makes sense for them and, and mm -hmm. is hitting those objectives. Like, we all have those checklists. Make sure that you're addressing those checklists on the way that you're presenting things and that the call to action that you're presenting is going to check that checkbox. Like, Okay, Jordan is trustworthy. Jordan has the needs that I need for my business. Now I'm going to talk to Jordan. Like if I can do those things, then I know what I'm really going to be trying to achieve. That's perfect. That's perfect. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is I thought of the word I couldn't think of. It was assume. Do oh, not yes, assume. Never, ever, ever. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I think a lot of people do that too much and they're essentially poisoning the well because they're just assuming and when you're uh, assuming with design um whatever it is i mean it, it's just no bueno it's not good <laughs> no i mean it's even in the way that we design our products and you make assumptions as to you know this thing is going to meet their needs i just know it is because you know i was a mother 
and I'm going to do those things. And you're like, well, I was never a mother, so I don't know what a mother needs in the specific uh-huh. needs of a crying baby. So I want to make yeah. sure that I'm, I'm talking to a mom who's had a crying baby, and I'm like, this is the best talk radio ever. And you're like, no, that doesn't meet my needs at all. You want to make sure that that product is suiting those things. And then I can position it because, you know, I have that validation. I have those insights. And, you know, it is the product that is actually the thing that they are looking for. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, this has been very insightful, educational, fun. We had a couple of jokes in there. Got a couple of good ones. (laughs) Yeah. I think we had some good UX design in this interview. Yeah. We got some good (laughs) jabs at Oracle too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty awesome. So let me ask you, Jordan, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn uh, would be really great. So Jordan Kentrick. Yep. Um, uh, my website is agooddayinc.com. Um, and you can find me on Instagram uh, as well. I do uh, quite a bit of uh, business branding and uh, wedding invitations. So you see some of that work as well. So oh, yeah. I kind of run the gamut. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, it's funny. I've interviewed a lot of people through same mutual contract uh, contact with ariana and uh these wedding planners man i oh, i would yeah. never do not assume these people are geniuses in everything outside of wedding planning <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's amazing when i'm talking to these people they're like well yeah technically i'm a wedding planner but i'm also a nuclear scientist on the side oh, and yeah. it's like holy cow uh, but these have been some of the most intriguing guests that i've had on the show because of all the value and insight you all bring so thank you so much for coming on here we thank are you. going to make sure as always if you're watching on youtube listening on spotify itunes google Podcasts. These are iHeartRadio, Stitcher, blah, 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 <laughs> everywhere. Uh, you will find the link to a Good Day Inc. Yep. Uh, right down there in the description on the podcast episode. Jordan, hey, thank you so much for coming in here. This has been awesome. And uh, we'll definitely get you back maybe later this year, man. I'd love it. Thank you, David. Oh, thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Wow, such an awesome chat with Jordan, right? First off, you all know the routine. If you love this episode, give us some love. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a comment. Like the episode. Plus, if you really found this to be helpful, if you loved what Jordan said, if you loved all that information that he gave and shared with us, Share this episode out on social media. You know, get it out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Heck, even TikTok at this point. Just get it out there and let's get a good day. Shark Bite Biz and Jordan Kentris trending. Now, let's get back to Jordan. First thing, Jordan gave us some awesome info about doing the postmortem in a sales cycle. A deal that you won or lost, I think it is critical to do it on both sides of the plate. He gave us some solid tips on how to get people on a call with you to review why you did or did not win. You need to learn the good, the bad. The ugly and the beautiful. I love Jordan's idea of having, you know, maybe some preset questions and telling them like, hey, look, just give me 10 minutes, okay? Give me 10 minutes so I can understand why. Now, if you're in a more complicated sale like I do, uh, I think we mentioned this during the interview with Vision 33, you know, doing ERP sales like SAP Business One, Sage Intact, stuff like that, um, 
probably going to need 20 minutes, okay? Probably not going to do it in 10 minutes unless it's just something easy like price, okay? Uh, besides that, uh, you know, try to make it brief, try to make it precise, respect their time, and just go to them like, hey, help me find out more. I want to grow my business. And honestly, I invested so much time with you. If you could just give me a couple more minutes, I'd really love to find out why you made the choice the way you did. And, you know, next up, I guess we just want to say, look, we're in a digital first and I think some would argue a mobile-first world right now. There is no reason on God's green earth why you should have a web page that was built when MySpace was popular. Web design, yeah, it's not exactly cheap, but it is affordable. There's do-it-yourself sites out there like Wix, to people like Jordan, to full-blown custom agencies that do cost a fortune, but can still be affordable for you. And, I mean, you can even find freelancers on a site like Fiverr to do it dirt cheap. Personally, after our discussion today, I would highly recommend that you work with Jordan. But the point of this is, is that there are very affordable options out there. And when I say affordable, I'm saying you can find an option that is in your price range. I'll use my coffee example, okay? My coffee store, uh, Deadhouse Coffee that we just launched. I could not afford the big dream that I have of having this zombie-inspired website. It was just out of my price range, and I don't have the personal time to be able to do it myself, okay? So I kind of had to say, that's a phase two. I need to start selling and start selling immediately so for me to be able to do that, I need to get a site up launch, and I ended up using a buddy designer of mine to kind of roll out a good enough site that's very nice, very respectful, uh, but it's not the end goal. And this goes back to the discussion that we've had a couple times about doing projects in phases. Doing things in phases are pretty important. It's pretty um, critical, I would say. And you really have to think about a website in 2021 is like the equivalent of having a gnarly business card back in, uh, you know, 2000. Something that really stood out. I remember everybody's like, oh, look how thick this card is. Or, wow, it's got something on the back. Or, my card has a QR code, okay? Uh, <clears throat> all those types of things. I mean, business cards used to be so, so important. In this world, 2021, virtual, remote, they're really not. I mean, you can get cards like Tappy or whatever where I have a card that'll be kind of like a credit card. I just tap it on your phone, bam, you got all my contact information. I don't have to give you a physical card. Uh, we are way past that. And in many ways, your website is your calling card. Your website is the face of your company. It is your business card. And that is why it is so important. I mean, make it flashy. Make it look gorgeous. You know, I do hear the complaints sometimes where people go, well, we only service four customers, so we don't really need a good site. Okay. I get it. I'm not going to waste time arguing with you. You already have that preset, you know, mindset that that's what you need. But it does represent your company. I mean, the cliche goes, don't judge a book by its cover. 
but yet with websites, every single one of us are guilty of that. Crappy site equals no confidence and nobody's going to have the warm and fuzzies to give you their credit card info. Lastly, Jordan had an excellent point on designing the site not how you think it should be designed. You should not be like, especially if you're in engineering and stuff like that, thinking, okay, this is how we want our flows, stuff like that. No, 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 no. Design the site with your client in mind. Design the site around how your clients expect and how they would use the different flows in the sites. Do the research. That research is critical and really put the work into it. I mean, as Jordan says, it will pay off in spades because you'll have those valuable insights. So once again, I just want to remind everybody, please do me a solid. Make sure you go check out Jordan's company, A Good Day. Dude is extremely knowledgeable, as we heard, full of knowledge. I think he can help you. Reach out to me. I'll introduce you out to Jordan if you want. But, uh, you know, just last thing. Again, shout out to all our fans who want to be on this show. We are booking well into, I think, August right now. It's been that, that, that busy. This show is just taken off. By the time this episode comes out, it looks like we're going to have over 3,000 subscribers just on YouTube. Okay? Do not get discouraged, though. Shoot me an email, david at sharkbitebiz.com. I'm going to be tweaking some things in the future to be able to get more guests onto the show. I want to get each and every one of you out there, and we're going to rock this together. Lastly, remember deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK, okay? going to get a discount you're going to support this show and i think uh you know it's going to allow me to bring bigger better guests on the show later on once again hey i'm david strasser this is shark fight fizz we'll see you all next episode cheers thank you for listening to shark bite biz We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.